Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom, and this week's guest is Dr. Daniel Amen, who is a world-renowned psychiatrist, has authored or co-authored 80 professional articles in 40 books, including the New York Times mega bestseller, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. He's appeared on numerous television shows, including Dr. Bill, Larry King, Dr. Oz, The Doctors, and The View. Um, not to mention, he is uh, Miley Cyrus's personal psychiatrist, as well as possibly Justin Bieber and a few other ones. Um, this man is incredibly interesting to talk to. His mission in life is to end mental illness, and he, he prefers not to refer to mental illness as mental illness or mental health, but as brain health. And his whole practice and focus is trying to help all of us improve our brain health. And so today we dive into real issues that I think affects everybody. Uh, in my opinion, this is probably the most helpful interview I, I've had personally as I reflect on myself. And I think it'll be uh, helpful for anyone who wants to listen, not just educators at this point. Um, you're gonna walk away with real practical tips on how to improve your brain health and um, to be a better leader to be a better person and to serve and love people better. It's a great conversation. I appreciate you joining. Um, again, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. We need all the support we can get. We appreciate your uh, dedicated listening and I hope you enjoy this episode because like I said, it is a life-changing one. Dr. Amon, thank you so much for being here. This is a, a huge uh, blessing for us. And uh, as you may already know, uh, the conversation we start, or the question that we start every podcast with is the same, which is, who are you and what do you love about what you do? So my name is Daniel Amon, and I'm a psychiatrist, a physician, a dad, a grandfather, and every day I love what I do. We change people's brains and then change their lives. And we've been doing it a really long time and it never gets old, uh, helping people. Um, and I love the aha moments. It's like, I hate the term mental illness. They're not mental, they're brain. And if we can switch the conversation to brain health, everybody will want it. When did you know that uh, you wanted to be a psychiatrist? So many, so many times we're talking uh, with educators. Or when did you know you wanted to be a teacher? Or how did you, you know, as you become a leader in life, like how did you know that this was the thing you needed to do? When was that moment for you? Um, I was a third year medical student, and um, I thought I w wanted to be a pediatrician. Love kids. Love science. And when I was a second year medical student, someone I loved tried to kill herself. And I took her to see a wonderful psychiatrist. And I came to realize if he helped her, which he did, it wouldn't just help her, that ultimately it would help her children and even her grandchildren as they would be shaped by someone who was happier and more stable. And my first pediatric rotation, I hated it because the children hated me. Every time they'd see me come with the white coat, they'd scream. And, you know, I ended up holding them down to look in their ears. And I'm like, no, 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 this is not fun. But I'm also a child psychiatrist getting on the floor and playing with them and trying to understand why they did what they did uh, was, was just joyful for me. And I'm like, well, why don't you have a job that's joyful for you? 
Well, uh, my understanding is uh, I've read a lot of your stuff and seen interviews with you. My my understanding is, you know, you may not have had the most supportive father in this like exercise. So you go to you go to medical school, and I'm sure it wasn't easy to say I'm I'm going to go be a psychiatrist. It's weird to say, but I've heard you talk about that a little bit. Yeah, no. When I told my dad I wanted to be a psychiatrist, he asked me why I didn't want to be a real doctor, why I wanted to be a nut doctor and hang out with nuts all day long. Now, my dad would never have gotten Father of the Year award. I mean, he's a very successful businessman, but um, that's demeaning, and it was awful. And ultimately, years later, he became my best referral source. It's like everybody wants to see me, and I'm like, no, no. But if he sent someone to me, I always had to see them. Uh, and we sort of mended fences many years later. Um, but he had the idea that many people have, that psychiatry is sort of not a real science, and people should just stop it. They should just, like, feel better or act better. And um, it completely misses that the brain can have problems just like your heart can have problems. Uh, so, yeah, that my dad died last year. And, yeah. You know, I... I, I fixed my relationship with him, so actually made his death so much easier on me. But um, so many people suffer with this stigma around mental health issues. And, and I think it's psychiatry's fault in large part because, I mean, just use the word mental shames people, right? If you call somebody mental, that's not a good thing. But if you call them a brain, it's a great thing. And so I'm really interested in changing the conversation from mental illness to brain health. Would you say that is kind of more your, your clear mission statement right now that drives you every day when you wake up? What, how would you define what it is that you're trying to make sure? So brain health versus mental illness, what is it? Well, I think the mission statement, we have a foundation, and our mission statement is to end mental illness by creating a revolution in brain health. Um, if you have a better brain, you're less depressed. If you have a better brain, you're less anxious. If you have a better brain, your memory is better, your focus is better. So much of what psychiatry does that they try to fix with medication could be fixed by having people fall in love and then optimizing the physical functioning of the brain. So to put it in a sentence, uh, I know Franklin Covey's great at this, right? We enable greatness. I'm like, what a great mission statement. I always remember that. Uh, but we want to end mental illness. And the only way that's going to be possible is if we create a revolution in brain health. Hmm. So I, I've heard you talk about uh, the importance of loving your brain. And I can't imagine there's many people who don't really love their brain. I mean, I love, I, I have it. I know it's there. Uh, what do you mean by we need to love our brain more? I, I've heard you say not really loving our brain. I'm curious about that. 
Now, most people completely ignore it uh, or they hurt it. If you let your child hit a soccer ball with their head, well, how stupid is that? The brain is soft about the consistency of soft butter. Your skull is really hard and has sharp bony ridges. Uh, your brain runs everything, how you think, how you feel, how you act, how you get along with other people. And if you loved it, so I didn't love my own brain until I saw it in 1991. I'm a double board certified psychiatrist. I'm a physician. I was the top neuroscience student in medical school. And I didn't care at all about my own brain. I didn't think about how much I slept. Uh, the food I ate, the air I breathed, the water I drank. I just didn't think about any of it. Uh, and then when I saw my brain, uh, we, at Amen Clinics, we do a study called SPECT that looks at blood flow and activity. And I'm like, my brain was way older than I was. And I, I was horrified. The week before I'd scanned my mom's brain, she was 60 at the time and she had a stunningly beautiful brain. And I was 37 and my brain looked older and I'm like, I developed a concept I call brain envy. I wanted her brain. But when you see your brain, you fall in love with it. I have one patient, Doug, who um, was a mixed martial artist and was raised actually in normal Illinois, which is always a fun, fun place to be from. And his brain was just totally toxic uh, because of the pesticides he grew up on the farm where he grew up. And when he saw his brain scan, he said it was like seeing one of his children for the first time. And he knew he would never again do anything to hurt it. And I love that because that's the first step in getting well is realize this three pounds of fat between your ears controls everything. And when it works right, you work right. And when it's troubled, for whatever reason, you have trouble in your life. I know you've been, uh, you and a few of your colleagues have been on the front lines of trying to get the brain imaging out there as a normal practice. How close are we to that being something we can see everywhere? I, mean, I live in St. Louis, Missouri, not too far from normal Illinois. How, how far off does that be from being a normal practice? Well, we have 10 clinics around the country. And just this year, the Canadian Association of Nuclear Medicine came out with new procedure guidelines on SPECT basically as if I wrote them. And actually, of the 10 authors of the guidelines, five of them had been my students. So I think, you know, it's still probably 10, 15 years away before you go see a psychiatrist and they go, oh, well, I have to know what your brain looks like before I start drugging it. Um, but we're a lot closer than we were even a couple of years ago. That's awesome. Well, while we wait for that to be a normal part of this practice, what what can someone like me or anybody listening uh, do to take care of their brain? I think that the people, as you as you imagine, you know, our organization exists to enable greatness in people and organizations everywhere. Uh, we're not we're not looking for just normal average folks. We want folks who want to like achieve optimal success, right, and leadership, and so. What do the, the best 
leaders need to do to take care of their brain? Well, leaders model health or they model illness. And I did a big program with Saddleback Church called the Daniel Plan, um, where we got this one church healthy and then thousands of churches around the world did it. And, and I really learned this lesson when I did the Daniel Plan is you have to first get this information. You, you have to incorporate it into your life. And then you have to give it away because it's in the act of giving you create your own support group, making it more likely you'll stay with this forever. And ultimately, it's super simple. It's it's this one question that takes three seconds to answer. And I work with BJ Fogg from Stanford on how people change. And he says, you just have to make it simple. And I've been doing this a long time. But if you can ask yourself this one question and answer it with information and love, love of yourself, love of your family, love of your mission, you'll have brain health in your life. And the question is, is this good for my brain or bad for it? So whenever you come to a decision point in your day, um, like I just had lunch and it's like, well, is this good for my brain or bad for it? And if you answer that with information and love, pretty soon you feel better uh, because your brain is better. I just took my supplements, good for my brain or bad, totally good. I had a shake this morning, good for my brain or bad. Totally good. Went to bed early last night and slept eight and a half hours. Good for my brain. I don't believe every stupid thing I think. That's good for my brain. Um, I mean, so I, I love that. And I think about even myself at times or other folks uh, that may not be as hard-headed as me where that self-talk is one of the things I really do. As simple as this is to say about the title of your latest book is your brain's always listening is everything is self-talk and there's so many times where we're just like, I can't do it. I don't have the discipline. I don't, I, you know, I've got to go to comfort. You talk about the dragons ants, and stuff uh, in your book. And so how, how do I help people or how can people help themselves improve that self-talk so they can really make those decisions of this is good for my brain as opposed to doing it back to well, so it's very important to realize you don't have to believe every stupid thing you think that, you know, think about high school. And, and I love Paul Simon's song, Kodachrome, that starts off with when I think back on all the crap I learned in high school, it's a wonder I can think at all. It's we never teach kids to manage their minds. And I was 28 years old in my psychiatric residency at the Walter Reed Army Medical Center in a classroom when one of our professors said, you don't have to believe every stupid thing you think. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I had never had a class on how to think about my thinking. And uh, he had us write down all of the sort of bad thoughts we had. And then talk back to them. And he said, how many of you were good at talking back to your parents when you were teenagers? And I was excellent 
right? I, we already talked about it. I had a dad that I struggled with, uh, and partly I struggled with him because I just didn't believe everything he said. And uh, But I never learned to talk back to the nonsense that my brain created. You know, thoughts come from all sorts of places. They come from our ancestors. They're written. Some of them are actually written in our genetic code. They come from the voices of our moms and dads, our siblings, our friends, our foes, our teachers, our coaches. And no one teaches us to assess them. And, and once you write them down and question them, all of a sudden you ask yourself, does this help me? Is this a thought that moves my life forward? Or is this a remnant thought? It just holds me back and learning every day. Um, and Dustin, this is such an important point. Mental health and brain health, are it's a daily practice. Just like physical health is a daily practice. Um, in my family, I have heart disease and obesity, but I don't have heart disease and I'm not overweight. Why? because I think about it every day. I was walking on Laguna Beach this morning. Uh, I'm gonna lift weights tomorrow. You know, I do that three times a week. Um, I eat right, I think about it. It's a daily practice, because I know if I don't make my physical health a daily practice, I'll be overweight in no time and be very unhappy about that. Mental health is exactly the same thing. Too many people, they'll try one of these techniques once and then they'll give up, which is sort of like you're 50 pounds overweight on Monday, have a salad for lunch and expect to be trim on Friday. It's insane, right? But we have to develop these same practices. Is this good for my brain or bad for it? I start every day with today is going to be a great day. And that way I find what am I looking forward to the day, like this interview. You know, I've loved my relationship with Franklin Covey for a long time. Um, when I go to bed at night, I did this last night. I do it every night. What went well today? I say a prayer. And then I go, what went well today? And for me, it's like a little treasure hunt. I actually start at the beginning of the day and I look at all those things that went well because it sets my dreams up to be more positive. And it's these small things. I also I have a new book coming out next year called You Happier, The Seven Neuroscience Secrets of Feeling Good Based on Your Brain Type. And one of the fun exercises in the book is find the micro moments of happiness for you and write them down and keep a list so that you begin to appreciate the micro moments. I mean, yes, celebrate the macro moments, but, you know, they're sort of few and far between where every day there are dozens of micro moments from my granddaughter this morning went to school dressed up as a superhero for Halloween and I got a picture and it just it's like this little squirt of dopamine that makes me so happy. So if you learn to pay attention to what's right, 
rather than just what's wrong, you're going to feel so much better. It had been really helpful if we talked yesterday. So yesterday, not that this show's about me in any way, but um, I had a really tough uh, professional conversation with somebody who worked with me, and it was it was really tough and something I you know was not looking forward to and dreaded. Um, but I had a coffee with a person that I've worked with for nine years, who I haven't seen in you know a year or so because of COVID and everything. And that was the best thing. But when I went to bed, I'll let you guess what I was focused on. And so I didn't sleep very well versus like, as you were talking, I'm like, I had so much joy in that coffee moment. If I would just teach myself to meditate on that, I could start seeing all the amazing other things that are happening in my life every day. Three weeks. It'll make a dramatic change in your level of happiness. Three weeks. Every night, write down or meditate on what went well today. All of us have crap that happens every day. And if you focus on that, you feel like crap. Um, you know, I learned this early on as a psychiatrist is in like five minutes, I could make anybody cry just by the questions I asked them, just by how I got them to think. You know, if I got them to think about the loved ones they've lost or the times they've been embarrassed or um, the times they perhaps had failed. Um, like I played in an all-star baseball game and I think I made three errors one day. Or Yeah, it was, it was a bad day. If I think about that, I'm going to feel less competent, miserable, actually. But I could also take that same person and make them smile or make them laugh or help them be happy just by the questions I ask. When did you feel most loved, most loving, most competent, uh, you know? And, you know, one great exercise is write down 20 of the happiest moments of your life write them down so that when you're having a hard day, you can go to them. Um, I actually have a fun exercise. Uh, I like to teach about memory because the brain works through association. And so take those 20 memories and anchor them to a certain place in your house. So whenever I walk up to my front door, I see uh, myself with my wife the day we got married. And actually the night before we were practicing our wedding dance and I almost dropped her. And, and I, I just see me almost dropping her, but it was fun. It was loving. Um, we're laughing about it. Thank God I didn't drop her. But every time I walk by the front door, I have a happy memory. And when I walk into the living room, there's another happy memory. If I walk into the kitchen, I see my grandfather was a candy maker making fudge. Now, I've changed it to healthy fudge. Uh, but you can do this. But it takes a little bit of effort. But it's so worth it because feeling miserable is awful. Well, I mean, you... By the way, if anybody's listening, they don't follow you either on TikTok or Twitter or Instagram. I mean, so much. You do a good job of balancing like, your videos with your quotes. And one quote that I stole, I don't know, several days ago, which was, uh, you become a master of your life when you learn how to control where your attention goes, value what you give your energy and time to, right? And I, that's kind of a no-done elaborating on what you just said. But I'm thinking about someone who's very close to me who 
like just constantly says, I can't do that. And I'm just trying to figure out how to take, take a baby step to build on that. So that three weeks is really helpful. And also positioning joy around you is also really helpful. Um, I, I, I mean, I appreciate it so much. Uh, so when I, you know, I, I think one thing you've you dove into is that your life hasn't been without critics, right? I mean, you're, <laughs> right? And I, I think it's, it's great because I think um, my question for you is all leaders are, especially right now in schools or districts everywhere, people are, I think leaders are being critiqued more than they've ever been. And you lived it. I mean, you're the presence you have on social media. I'm still, it's, it's like all this great stuff I think you're doing. I'm sure you have so many critics that are just as bad. How do you stay focused on all of us who really appreciate the work that you're doing and not the negative that could detract from you? Well, I am the second son in a Lebanese family and got beaten up a lot when I was little. So uh, I figured out how to make my older brother my friend. And so I've, I've sort of been in the arena for a long time. And, and I have five sisters, so I'm used to critics. When I became a psychiatrist, I realized everything I did as a psychiatrist was controversial. If I gave people medicine, there were a whole bunch of people who just hated that idea. If I didn't give them medicine, there was another group of people who hated that idea. When I was young, a younger psychiatrist, I did a lot of hypnosis and some people just would be so hurtful, critical about that. They thought you were opening their mind to the devil, which was just insanity. And then when I started imaging, my fellow colleagues lost their minds. And uh, no, you can't. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, that was the hardest part because what's the definition of hell? It's separation from God or hell on earth is separation from your family or from your colleagues. And all of a sudden I'm doing something that's wildly different, right? Most psychiatrists make diagnoses based on symptom clusters with no biological data. And pretty soon I realized, well, that was stupid. Right. I mean, why don't psychiatrists act like cardiologists? Right. Would a cardiologist ever make a diagnosis of chest pain? No. But they would look for the underlying causes of chest pain. Right. I mean, they'd study the heart in so many different ways. It's like, why am I different? And so when they lost their minds, I got anxious. But um, God has always been good to me when I get really criticized. I'll also get a story of transformation that'll balance me. And so in 1995, when it was sort of at its worst, uh, my nine-year-old nephew attacks a little girl on the baseball field for no reason. And when my sister-in-law called me up, she also told me Andrew was drawing pictures of himself shooting other children hanging from a tree. And I'd done enough scans to realize I think he had something the wrong matter with his left temporal lobe. I scanned him. It turned out he had a cyst the size of a golf ball. When the neurosurgeon drained the cyst, his behavior went back to normal. And it was really that moment. I completely lost my anxiety and I was ready to go to war because 
my work help somebody who I loved. And I'm like, it's just not okay to call these kids bad. You have to ask why. And whenever sort of there's a crescendo of criticism, there's also stories of transformation. And that keeps me centered. Well, how, how has, I mean, I know you've treated a lot of really amazing people over your years. Uh, one that obviously you talked about recently is uh, treating Miley Cyrus. How has that information coming out uh, helped you and others in your work share this with more people? Has it uh, exponentiated to spread the word? I'm curious. It makes me cool with my kids. Um, <laughs> It's, uh, we recently adopted our two nieces, uh, 11 and 16. And, uh, you know, I love Miley. I've been Miley's doctor for goodness, 11 years now. And, uh, I just, I adore her. And when she went public on Joe Rogan, uh, it just, I don't know, you, you know, and I talked to her, I always go, help me make brain health cool yeah. because you know people like miley or justin bieber um they're such purposeful people i mean they're really wonderful human beings and and they understand my work and how important it is but how we also have to translate it to a new generation. So I got to scan Logan Paul. That was fun. <laughs> he came into my office and, and we filmed this and he goes, I want to know why I'm an asshole. <laughs> and I'm like, that's so insightful. And it turned out he had a head injury when he was in seventh grade on a trampoline. So we're doing a series on Instagram called scan my brain. And, uh, you know, doing these uh, young influencers, it's, it's just so helpful to try to bring this message of it's not mental health, it's brain health well, to a new generation of people. One thing I'll say, so um, I have uh, my, my best friend's little sister is really close with Michael Porter Jr. They grew up playing uh, high school basketball. They grew up going to high school together. And so I get to see your show with him. Uh, both on you know, his podcast he has, but also on your side. And I thought that was really interesting. As a former athlete, that is, it really gets me interested of, oh, I, I want to know what I've, you know, what's happened to me and really understand it that way. So I, I do think it's interesting that you're going to Logan Paul. You know, you've got Miley, you've got, you know, Michael Porter Jr. and a number of other folks. Like, I do think that's going to start out. Part of, um, again, I want as many people as possible to dive into your work um, because it's been so helpful to me. When you're taking these images, one of the things I really appreciated about your book, I think it's about the 12 steps part of your book, where you're kind of breaking down a few different buckets of the, like the types of brain. Does that make sense? Like, where it's like, I think it's like four types. Can you kind of break, elaborate on that so I don't completely slaughter it while I'm trying to talk to you about this? Again? Well, you know, too often people think a one size fits all treatment works. Right. whether it's for anxiety or depression or obesity or addiction. And our imaging work taught us it's like everybody sort of has a different brain. And there are five major types. And when you put the combinations together, there are actually 16 types. And people can find out their type at brainhealth.com. 
assessment.com. Uh, and there are people have balanced brains that, um, and that's sort of the goal over time is to get them to be balanced. There are other people that are spontaneous, sort of my ADD group, um, but they're very creative. There's my persistent group. They like things a certain way, um, or they get upset. Tends to be my doctor group and my accountant group. There's the sensitive group where their emotional brain works pretty hard. They make great therapists, uh, but hated the pandemic because isolation makes them depressed. And then there's the cautious group. Their anxiety centers work too hard. And uh, knowing your type helps you target the treatment. So if you're overweight and you're an impulsive overeater, you actually do really well on a ketogenic diet or a paleo diet, higher protein, lower simple carbohydrate diet. Give that to a persistent person. It'll make them mean. And I was on Rachel Ray and we were talking about this and she was the persistent brain type. She said, I went on a low carb diet and I became so mean. I wondered why my husband didn't leave me. I mean, think about just the wrong diet for the wrong brain can cause people to get divorced. Uh, we really should be putting the brain in the middle of this. Well, that was the part that was intriguing to me was uh, when you were breaking down the brains themselves, uh, my wife and I are, you know, very different people. Like we're similar, but very different in our brains. We can see quickly uh, how, you know, like let's say caffeine. I forget what brain it was tied to, but like caffeine makes my brain feel alive. I probably had too much of it, as you can sense right now. But I don't know if it's actually good for me and my brain. Right? Like I do it because I feel like it wakes me up, but that may not be the optimal thing to do. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, if you have the spontaneous type, you'll tend to gravitate toward caffeine. Right. And ultimately, it's not really great for you because it constricts blood flow to the brain. So there are lots of sort of alternatives, like I like rhodiola and ashwagandha and ginseng, ginkgo, because they can help boost energy and blood flow um, without the problems of caffeine. Um, we make something at BrainMD called Brain Boost on the Go. I love it so much. It's got B6, B12, folate, stimulating B vitamins, and theanine, which sort of helps calm you and focus you. So um, th th there are alternatives. And when you know your type, we'll also go, well, what supplements tend to be helpful for these types based on my experience. Well, I, again, if, if people are listening, they have not read your latest book, Your Brain is Always Listening, I can't encourage them enough to do it. Before we let you go, because I know you've got a hard stop coming up, I'm going to dive into a few quick questions. One of the questions we're asking every guest this season is, what are the, the habits or disciplines that you have in your life on a daily basis that you think are making so much the difference in your life to be a better leader and servant of others? So I have a huddle with myself every day. Um, I have very clear goals and I have them in four big circles. 
Uh, I have biological goals, so physical goals for my physical health and my brain. Uh, I have psychological goals, uh, mostly to be happy. I argue that seeking happiness is a moral obligation because of how your moods impact other people around you. Um, I have relationship goals, I'm like super clear about the kind of husband I want to be, the kind of dad and grandfather I want to be, the kind of leader at work I want to be. Um, and I have spiritual goals. Uh, I want my life to matter. I want to be a good steward of the blessings that I've been given. And so every day I have a little huddle on what did I do yesterday, looking at my goals, what am I going to do today, am I stuck anywhere? And one of the habits I, you know, I've been teasing, uh, my staff, I go, I think I'm going to start getting tattoos. I don't have any tattoos. You know, I almost feel bad, but, you know, if you see Michael Porter Jr., he's got all these tattoos, or your Justin or Miley, he's got all these tattoos. I'm like, I missed it. And so one of the tattoos I would get is, does it fit? So when you know what you want, one of the questions you should ask yourself every day is, does it fit? Does my behavior fit the goals I have for my life. So it's not, I should do this. Because when you think you should do something, you don't do something, right? I often tease people, well, God said, you, you know, to Adam and Eve, you shouldn't go to the tree. The next scene, they're at the tree. Now, if God would have said, look, you go to the tree, she's going to have to wear clothes, and then we're <laughs> kicking you out of the garden. Uh, I guarantee you, Adam would have said no thank you to Eve when she offered him an apple. Anyways, um, does it fit? Does my behavior? And, and Dustin, I, I am shocked that most people don't plan their lives. They don't actually write down, what do you want? Relationships, work, money, physical, emotional, spiritual health. And for me, that's sort of step one. You know, when I do the 12 steps, you know, I rewrote the 12 steps from a neuroscience perspective. Step one is not, is your life out of control? That's step two. Step one is, what do you want? What do you want in your relationships, your work, your money, your physical, emotional, spiritual health? So I have that um, is a ritual I do. I start every day with today is going to be a great day. I have a 40 minute huddle with two of my teams at work. I walk during the huddle. I think we're spending way too much time on zoom. Uh, can, I, it's like, I mean, can I save this and send it out? Cause I, I need that. We are spending so much time on zoom right now. It's like, I already know what my team looks like. They know what I look like. I like, I have my headphones on this morning as on Laguna Beach doing my huddles. Uh, so getting two things done at once. Uh, I, I do that on a regular basis. And then I just make sure that I have exercise, the right food, uh, sleep. And every night I make brain healthy hot chocolate for my family. Unsweetened, yeah. Tell us unsweetened vanilla almond milk. 
uh, unsweetened organic vanilla almond milk, actually from Costco, uh, a heaping teaspoon of raw organic cacao, a little bit of chocolate flavored stevia, put it in a blender, heat it up, put it in a blender. It's amazing. It's low calorie, but high impact, high impact joy yeah. because cacao is a superfood. Uh, and yeah, I have lots of sort of little habits I love. And, and I have this phrase that I came up with a year or two ago. It's whatever I put in my mouth, do I love it? And does it love me back that you're in a relationship with food and the things you drink? And too often people go, Oh, but I love wine or I love beer or I love uh, brownies. And I'm like, yeah, but do they love you back? If you had a million dollar racehorse, would you ever feed it junk food? Only if you were an idiot and aren't you worth so much more. That's amazing. I appreciate that. Uh, another question that we like to ask, especially someone like you, who is a world renowned author. Um, are there certain books that or certain authors that you're really diving into lately or that you just always refer back to? Um, I love Byron Katie's work. It's really been seminal in my life. Uh, loving what is it's one of my favorite books. I read a book recently called breath that I thought was just magnificent uh, and stunning. Um, I'm sure there'll be more if I think about it. I love Mitch albums work. I read everything he writes. I do love Mitch as well. Uh, this should be an easier question, uh, especially since you have Miley and Justin to fall back on. Uh, when you're going on a walk and you are plugged into your uh, iPhone and have iTunes up, what's on your latest playlist? What's on your workout playlist or what's on your like going for a walk playlist or driving around? Or uh, I think Miley's work is the best it's ever been. I am so excited about her work. Um, her latest album was like number one on the rock, on Billboard's rock chart. For a woman, that's actually very rare. So um, I love her work. I love Megan Trainer's work. She's actually going to be one of our Scan My Brain people. Very excited uh, about that. Rather than all about that face, it'll be all about that brain, which I think will be super fun. Um, and I listen to a lot of books. So I'm, when I'm walking, I'm usually listening, uh, to Ken Follett or, um, I'm listening to now a book called The History of Sugar, which is just fascinating. Uh, there's clearly not only a physical dark side, to sugar, but it was heavily involved in the slave trade. Uh, it accelerated the slave trade. Fascinating. Um, we we're talking about uh, books earlier. Uh, the book that uh, I actually read that changed my life was The Purpose Driven Life with Rick Warren. And so 
that was the other place I heard of you, like getting to partner with them. And, uh, and that has changed so many lives. Anyway, sorry. Uh, last question. I got to go. Um, what's the best piece of advice that's like on your mind right now that you just need to share with everybody? It's something you may have woken up this morning and you're like, I've got to tweet this out. Or it's just something that continues to come back in your life that you wish people would really slow down to think about. Well, I did Sandy Robertson's podcast recently, and she asked me that question. And it actually comes from one of Byron Katie's books, Argue with Reality, Welcome to Hell. Uh, I just, I love that. It's, um, you know, it's sort of like John 832, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's a little um, phrase that I use. So around the house uh, with my nieces, I'm really, they grew up in serious craziness. And, you know, one of my missions in life is to add mental illness in them and their babies. Uh, and so I often say something and they'll respond. Uh, like I'll go, best predictor of behavior, and they'll go, behavior, how people have been is how they're going to be. And then lately I'm like, okay, who survives a pandemic? And they go, people who are flexible, uh, right? If you have to have things a certain way, you're not going to survive this pandemic. People who survive see things as temporary. Pandemic is going to end at some point. Uh, they see it as local. Yes, it's a global pandemic, but how does it impact us here in Newport Beach? Um, and control. What do you have control over? I can wash my hands. I can socially, not socially distance. I hate that term. Physically distance. Uh, I can take vitamin D. I can strengthen my own immune system. Uh, I can do what I can do. So whatever stressful situation, the people who thrive, who survive, see things in this TLC format, temporary local control that's great i appreciate you uh before we go again what's the where's the place that uh, our listeners can go take the brain quiz so they can start diving into this brainhealthassessment.com and they'll also get a brain health score uh it's really cool we've had five million people take it they can follow me on tiktok at Doc Amen, D-O-C-A-M-E-N, are on Instagram. Um, and the new book, uh, Your Brain is Always Listening. You can get it anywhere great books are sold. Yeah, and it, it is wonderful. I, I know that you probably hear that plenty, but uh, for me personally, it's doing wonders. And for folks that are close to me or dive in with me, it's going to do wonders. And so I can't thank you enough for making time for us. This has been amazing. Uh, I appreciate you, and I wish you nothing but the best in your mission to gain the perception of mental health uh, and make it all about brain health. Thanks, Dustin. What a joy. Uh, thank you for coming prepared and passionate. It uh, makes my life so much better. Oh, have a blessed day. I, this was awesome. Thank you. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.